Welcome back to the PCS Podcast, your home for all things competitive Pokemon TCG. In this week's episode, we're going over the Pokemon World Championships that was held in uh, Yokohama, Japan, and I am very, very excited to get into it. We'll talk briefly on the World's MetaShare study, and there's some new news regarding new Pokemon mechanics and a brand new Pokemon typing and much more. Uh I am Drew, your host, and with me as always is Justin. Justin, how are we doing this week, man? I'm doing good. Uh, like always, having a pretty busy week, being a dad and husband and also work. We finally got the uh, maintenance issues at work fixed, so now I'm playing catch-up. Um, been a little exhausting, but it's been good. Uh, since we talked last time, I uh, I have played some Pokemon. I yes, went to a couple... I did, yes. I actually got to play twice this weekend. Um, I went to a cup on Saturday. Started out pretty hot with uh, a version of Gardevoir that I built a little, little more turbo uh, build to just streamline out as fast as possible um, Gardevoirs. And it went really well until I literally had a round where I prized all my Curlias and it was best of one until you got in Top Cut. So um, I just lost that one. And then... Uh, another one where I, I owned someone, I was playing a Chen Pao, uh, someone playing Chen Pao, and I literally I owned them into Cross Switcher, Canceling Cologne, and Irida for the Rare Candy in Baxcalibur. Um, so it was just like the absolute perfect Iona for them. Um, so needless to say, I did not win that matchup. Um, and then from there, I was just out of contention for top eight. So. Uh, again, went home because I could see my kid, and I since I didn't have a chance at points. But then uh, Sunday, we had a Pokemon Appreciation Day at one of my locals, and even though I was feeling a little down, um, just because I feel like every time I go to a CP earning event, um, I strike out. But then I went to my locals uh, that was doing the Pokemon event, and uh, the first they the first tournament was a box tournament. Uh, ended up IDing the final round to go four oh one. Um, and ended up second place just because my opponent was also 401 and had just a little bit higher resistance than me. So that way we guaranteed ourselves first and second out of 33, 34 people, I think it was. So walked away with 16 packs and a bunch of store credit, which was pretty awesome. Uh, it ran a little longer than it was supposed to because afterwards was a fun single prize format where like Sableye and Cramorant and stuff were banned, um, like just kind of an alternate format. I um, mm-hmm. was super excited. I brought Reggie's for that. I won round one, but realized it was like 6.30 or something like that already. And I'd been there since 11. Um, and my wife, you know, being home, watching the kid all weekend by herself, I gave my opponent the win anyways, dropped and went home. I, you know, pretty pretty fun day already. A uh, bunch of friends and stuff like that. So uh, got to play lots of Pokemon and it got me super invigorated again to just continue to uh to hit some events um and then i'm looking forward to i've got a vacation coming up this weekend finally so uh, i'll finally get i would like to say some rest but uh we're going to disney and nice. disney and yeah disney in august in florida for a couple days i'm happy to make memories with my kids my kid let's say that I yeah just, disney itself not super excited but other than that um it's a vacation nonetheless so how are you doing yeah, drew It'll probably be a little busy. Uh, I'm good. Work this week is a little weird. My days off changed to supplement some coverage for inventory that's happening this weekend. 
Uh, I usually have Sundays off, so it is what it is. But last week was pretty good. Um, I won with Miradon, and I don't know what inspired me to play the <laughs> yellow motorcycle dude. Um, but I'm happy I did. You know, I'm still on the whole 1-1 Magnezone, Magnezone V-Star line. And I know since then, people have kind of pushed that off to the wayside. Uh, but I think right now, especially with Pidgey being weak to lightning, um, that magnetic tension attack that the Magnezone has where it grabs something from the bench and hits it for 40 damage uh, is really, really important. So I've been having a lot of fun with that deck. And then I played the same 58 cards on Saturday to two two events. Um, the first event, we did like a King of the Hill type of deal. Uh, basically, first of five wins um, takes first. And you just find your opponents as opposed to it being like Swiss seating. So it was kind of just like a more fun, casual environment. And then you get the matchups you're looking for because you get to go find the opponent that you really want to have those repetitions with. Um, ended up being me and my friend Saint in the finals because we both got five wins at the same time. So we played a sixth round and I lost to Lasso and Box <laughs> Kyogre. So it was a lot of fun still. Um, but the story doesn't end there because on Saturday uh, night... Uh, me and my friend Saint and my friend Jose and my friend Brett, uh, we all went to another shop. And it was really funny because all four of us are on the same team, same practice group out of 16 plus people who were there. And um, we were all at top tables. Basically, we just played each other the whole time, which is really funny. Uh, But then the finals came around and lo and behold, I'm playing against Saint with the exact same loss on Kyogre box. But now I'm smarter <laughs> and I'm better. Um, you and I play won. around it. Yes, yes. Well, then not play around it, just play more aggressively. And I did just that. And magnetic tension put in a whole lot of work, uh, you know, clean up a lot of those mistakes. And I've been having a lot of fun with the deck. So um, if I didn't have enough respect for Maridon coming into last week, I definitely am walking away with a lot more respect. So uh, definitely don't sleep on that deck. If you want to play something fun to a cup or challenge, Maridon. That's the that's the jive. But people are not here to listen to me talk about the decks that I play. They want to talk about the world championship. And it was awesome. I spent all weekend watching or catching up with it because it was so late at night in my area when the rounds got later and so on and so forth. But we're going to start off with um, juniors. And first place was won by... Uh, by uh, Xiao Tong Yen with the Lawson Kyogre. Uh, getting a little bit of PTSD talking about this deck. But there are some cool features here. And the first one I want to start off with is that game two in the finals matchup, we got to see an Aqua Storm for game. And that was the cherry on top. You know, there's, I don't know how this deck is going to look going forward. Things are going to rotate, obviously, but it was really cool to see Kyogre finish it off. And, you know, can't say enough about it. But if you've played the deck, you understand um, the whole idea is to chip at your opponent's HP, find a way to get them without mana fee closer to the late parts of the game, keep all of your item-based resources on the surface somewhere so that way if you do get Ionored or Judge, you have uh, very good things left. And basically double Recycler, Mirage Gate, and hit for potentially anywhere between uh, 50 and 250 for discarding energy off the top of your deck. So it's incredibly powerful and there's really no questioning why it won. It's just really cool to see how it did it. And 
with this being the Lost Zone Kyogre deck, which is normally a like harder deck to pilot, it's really awesome to see that a junior was able to pilot this to a finish. But also, yeah, the 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 Aquastorm for game, like the the whole point or the the thing that this deck is trying to um, do to actually take the finishing knockout, you know, for the world championships. That's pretty cool because you don't always see that. Sometimes you see like an alternate way to win or things like that, especially with something that's this complicated. Um, and to see it on that big of a stage is, is really awesome as well too. Yes. Um, you know, I, I've played against this deck so much and, you know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for it. Uh, but it was really cool to see it win, do exactly what it's intended to do in the finals. Um, this list features a Palpad as well as a Clara. And the Palpad to me seems like a little bit of a safety net. Um, but in that same, I don't know, spirit, I think that there are just appropriate times to use Pokestop. And I think Palpad kind of gives you that little, okay, cool. If I ditch two Colrus off of this, then I at least get the Palpad off the Pokestop and I can bring them back and put them back in the deck. So um, good for some help yourself play but not very streamlined towards a conservative play yeah that was my thought exactly when i saw the pal pad too was i guess that's for if you accidentally ditch too many supporters and you want to get them back so yeah and i mean there's something to be said too about being able to use clara twice in a game uh being able to reestablish um double stabilize without having to always rely on having a rod or a nest ball accessible to you late in the game is pretty nice too. So uh, there's definitely some merit to that as well. Uh, but other than that, really cool list, really solid to see it piloted. And second place was uh, Gabriel Torres playing Arctura Umbreon. Historically, very bad matchup for this deck entirely. So um, you know, it doesn't play Manaphy. And uh, basically you get to just get hit by a Dragonite a whole bunch. And if your HP threshold is 250 or below, uh, sorry <laughs> yeah exactly um, but other than that if you don't play volo like you're kind of sol against this but i can understand where this deck just doesn't have space for it covers a wide enough field the two v guard energy i definitely see the merit in however it just doesn't do what most people think it does in arctura and i for one i'm not one of those people who think that the v guard energy is necessary but regardless still a very, very solid finish for a very cool deck that uh, Justin and I are big fans of. Any any thoughts on this build? Um, yeah, just the V guards as well. I, I agree. I, I don't. I, the idea is nice, but I don't think they're super necessary. Um, something cool is you know it's playing one path of one copy of Path of the Peak, which can be strong, but you you're relying so much on abilities in this deck that um, I feel like it might be counterproductive as well too. Um, and then, like you said, this deck does just you know, normally has a, a better matchup into the lost box zone. I feel like sometimes, um, except for, you know, yeah, the Dragonite hits big numbers, um, especially Kyogre. Uh, if you're chipping away with Sableye and then you go in with that big attack at the end, yeah, it's just super easy to take six prizes in one turn, um, as well as we do see Shao, the first place list, plays that Echoing Horn. So to be able to bring a two prize V back um, and just put it in range, uh, something or something a little more easy, easy of a target like Luminion back on the bench um, is mm -hmm. super strong. So um, yeah, it's, it's a great list, but um, you know, it just did not, couldn't pull it out in the end. 
Nope, absolutely. And I think that with the safeguards of the Palpad, even if you do have a long game against Arctur and they are taking one prize at a time, or they're finding the combinations to have that rebuttal against the 230 HP Dragonite, um, it just has uh, its inherent weaknesses if you don't play something like Volo to you know, take something off the board for your opponent to not swing into. And I think one of those V-Guard energy slots definitely could have been um, that card. But regardless, insane finish, insane players. Can't wait to see what these guys do um, going forward with the game for sure. Uh, going into seniors, and just to reflect back on the draft, um, Gabriel Fernandez and Vinny Fernandez are brothers, and... They're insane players. They've, you know, absolutely blown up during like the um, online era during COVID and stuff like that. And I picked Vinny to be my senior represent- <laughs> representation. And Vinny took ninth and bubbled out of nice. top eight where Gabriel won the whole thing. So it was literally a 50-50 shot for me. So uh, still very insane to see uh, what they played. And that was Colorless Lugia. And I absolutely love this list uh i'll let you give your thoughts on it first before i ramble on about it no like i this list is actually insane so something we see that's out of the ordinary if you for colorless lugia at least in my experience of seeing the deck um is the one of weirdier v which i know that's not super like new that's been in and out of the deck but uh the slacking v is very cool to see in there because um Gabriel decided to also play Path to the Peaks in this deck. Yes. Um, so once he gets his own V-Star ability off, um, he can now play Paths in the deck to disrupt your opponent while also turning off that uh, ability that Slacking V has in case the prizes aren't correct and be able to swing big numbers. Um, so I just think it's a, a really cool idea and inclusion because realistically, you don't need to rely on abilities uh, in certain scenarios. Like, yes, you do play things like Luminion or you play things like Drapion for the certain matchups, but in those matchups, you just don't run the path or you uh, bump it with one of the collapse stadiums that he plays. So um, all around, like the, the core of it is Colorless Lugia, but those two inclusions make it so unique and so um, well-rounded for the, the, the field, honestly. Yes, um, I watched the match between these two as well, and unfortunately, their opponent Sydney definitely dead drew game one. Um, didn't really have a solid rebuttal at all, and uh, I just the, what I can say about this list is the same. Like Colorless Lugia tends to run multiple belts, but what they try to step into is using the vast pool of special energy to power up things like Luxray, to power up things like Radiant Charizard. And this list is so conservative in its play. It's running the Radiant Serena again, help you get that little edge over Lost Box and stuff like that so they're not setting up those um, multi-prize Pokemon. The one weird ear to swing for a whole bunch of damage is insane. And comboing it with a well-timed Path to the Peak or just accelerating a bunch of double turbo energy to it in the active without having to use its ability, um, it swings for perfect numbers. But having the double path um, in a deck where Lugia can delete the stadium if you get stuck behind it as well as the Pumpkaboo, um, you just have so many answers. Like Duraludon... Um, actually probably takes a 50-50 matchup into this list because of how much uh, versatility it has with things like slacking and things like um, the weird ear and so on and so forth. Now the energy counts, 
Um, I'm so used to single strike having the access to recycle them and so on and so forth. Uh, but Gabriel played super smart and just knew when to commit a bunch of um, non double turbo energies to attackers. And, you know, Snorlax really didn't put in any work in that finals match. And I think that that was the right call to just attack with uh, Lugia, get the V guard energy on it, make it really hard to knock out uh, from things like the Giratina and so on and so forth. Um, if Sydney wasn't playing on their back foot in the first place, um, this still would have been a really good matchup between the two decks and the slacking uh, just hits the perfect numbers. You just, you can't go wrong with a basic attacker with that much HP and it hits four two sixty naturally for four colorless. Yeah. And with the energy counts too, I really do love the four count of the jet energy as well too. Um, at least from what I've seen, uh, I, I really like that in there because you can start a Lugia in the active, but also a Lugia on the bench too at this point. And say someone, you know, chips away at the active and you don't want them to knock it out. Well, now you can jet energy on the benched one, bring it up, and then go from there and do your V-Star ability, you know, potentially collapse stadium, stadiuming that damage Lugia away later on. Um, as well as because they are playing that Snorlax, it's now not stuck in the active asleep. Um, because you can jet energy something up like that weird ear or um, anything else or potentially another Snorlax as well too. So um, just very cool all around. Um, it looks like a really fun list. I need to put more reps in with Lugia and this might be the version uh, outside of the single strike that I think I might like more. Yeah, absolutely. And take notes from uh, Gabriel because it seemed like Professor Burnett was always in their hand. So I don't know how they did it, but uh, it seemed <laughs> without the assistance from Luminion, they always had Burnett at arm's reach, which was very cool. So let's talk about the second place list. Uh, this is uh, Sydney De Bruin, who played Arctina. Uh, there's not much to say about the list. It's Arctina at the end of the day. Does play one copy of Lost City, and it also plays the Radiant Alakazam as an additional math fixer, which is nice, but I think it takes away from the core of what this deck does best. I know that Arctina has a hard time hitting anything 320 HP or higher, so that Radiant Alakazam being able to finally reach that um, Urshifu and Inteleon range, or even something like Duraludon, is very important. So maybe that kind of played into why the list was constructed the way that it was. Um, but overall, it's just a streamline, flip your opponent's hand over, hope you get them stuck behind Path to the Peak, attack with very consistent attackers in the form of um, Arceus and power up a really heavy hitter in uh, Tina. Yeah, I mean, like you said, not much to say about the list. I am, I'm, I'm not a fan of the Radiant Alexam personally or the Lost City. I mean, I can see where Lost City in certain matchups can be, can be very good, you know, especially into like maybe a Lost Box deck if you want to get rid of something like the Sableyes or, uh, you know, a Dragon IV or something like that. Um, but I, I just feel like the the whole point of this deck is the the Pathlock Judge Iono, and do do the whole thing. And like you said. Giratina is mostly one-shotting almost everything, so the math on Radiant Alexam doesn't seem like it would come up too often, especially without things like Halucha to do, you know, a couple extra pings onto the bench and then move those damage counters around. So um, then again, you know, they piloted it to a second-place finish, so maybe it came in handy a lot more than we we know. So um, um, all I have to say is that the Alexam helps them cover a wider field in terms of V maxes. Um, Alakazam 
at face, like you, you make the decision to put the stadium down, right? So, you know, when you have your outs, um, it's never a question mark as to whether you want to put down path or not, because it's a fully conscious decision. Um, and if you're able to combo knockouts, like moving damage counters late game, especially if you don't know the Alakazam is present in the list and there's an Inteleon or an Urshifu somewhere on the field with, you know, 310 damage on it from a lost impact plus choice belt. And you have another Pokemon um, with a couple of damage counters on, you move those over, knock out a VMAX and take a knockout the same turn. Um, puts a lot more pressure on your opponent and it helps you play around Iono too because you almost want to miss those knockouts so that later in the game you can have a handful of resources then capitalize on your opponent um, but to your testament the Alakazam does not seem like it should be a staple in Arctina moving forward yeah yeah and that's the one when you put it that way too with saving the knockouts to maybe take like a you know a four or five prize turn um, might be the reason why it's there, especially if you're, you know, doing chip damage with that RCS V-Star first, uh, like you mentioned, and then moving those damage counters around later on on something that maybe is still sitting there. So, um, I mean, it obviously has its merits. Um, it's just, yeah, personally, I don't know if I would do that without having something like that uh, Halucha in there, but um, I maybe it's yeah, worth testing I, some more. I agree with you for sure. And another thing we don't see in this list is cleansing gloves, making the decision to just you know, judge path, uh, what is it? Gardevoir and you can get out scot-free. Seems like a solid plan. Yeah. That usually does the trick, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, before we talk about masters final, we're going to talk about top eight. Um, your first seed going in was Vance Kelly. Second was, uh, Michael Primawat. Third was Torg Reklev. Uh, fourth was, uh, Dionius Lee and eighth was, uh, Kung Kai Hing. Um, I'm not talking about the decks right now, just for the sake of the players getting the shout outs. Um, seventh, you have uh, Shochi Saito. And then sixth, you have uh, Victor Montez. And then fifth, you have the uh, one and only Azul Garcia Griego. If you're looking at this top eight, you have three Mew, you have two Gardevoir, you have two Lost Tinas, and one Lost Zone Kyogre. All of these decks play Battle VIP Pass. Is it no surprise to you that this is what our format is now? Just VIP Pass abusing decks. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of people rumble about uh, Battle VIP Pass is just too broken. And I don't necessarily think it is because the fact that you can only use it on your first turn. But mm -hmm. if you can get those off, I mean, obviously it shows that Battle VIP decks are very good um i so my favorite deck right now is gardevoir because you know what going first you get a mew down and you mew and you get a battle vip pass feels really freaking good absolutely <laughs> and then and you, know, you just draw with, cards yep exactly and same thing with lost box you know and the best part about this is pretty much all these decks have ways to get rid of the battle vip passes as well when they're not used on turn one like pretty easily like Mew, you're cycling through cards so much that you can literally Ultra Ball them away because you're going to get them. Uh, Gardevoir, you can get rid of them off your Curlias, the Lost Box decks, obviously, uh, you know, Giratina and uh, the Kyogre uh, off your Comfies and things like that. So um, 
it's not a dead card in your hand the rest of the game. You have ways to get rid of them fairly easily too. So um, really great card, and obviously it shows in all these decks. Yes, no, I, I tend to agree. Um, Mew making up a majority of top eight. Was this anything we saw coming into this world? You know, we have Drapion in format, Spirit Tomb in format, Path to the Peak, you know, Judge, all those, all these things that are supposed to stop Mew. And it made up the majority and more. Truthfully, you know, I, I, before Worlds, I would have said no, but afterwards and seeing this and thinking about it, it's like, you know, we say every, after every event that, you know, people are out to stop Mew and Mew still makes it through. So what would make, even, even though it's the world championships, what would make that any different? And then also because I think so many people did discount Mew going into this event, they were like, I'm going to let the other, I think I even mentioned this maybe a week or two ago or even longer ago before regional, but when people think that other people are teching from you, so they don't tech for it, all of a sudden now Mew has a chance to slip through because people aren't packing Drapion. Like we saw some spear tombs and stuff like that, but obviously, you know, these are fusion strike lists and stuff like that. So those fusion energies just help you get through, you know, make it, make that a uh, spear tomb completely pointless. So in retrospect, yeah, I think we should have seen this coming. Um, as much as we didn't want to see it coming, I think we, we should have in the end. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Um, my big thoughts on, Mew making it this far, it's storybook, right? Um, this is the last time Worlds will be able, uh, Mew would be able to win a World Championship, right? And it's been such a thorn in everyone's side. You know, everyone keeps talking like, oh, Meloetta's broken, Fusion Strike Energy's broken, Genesect's broken, and I'm personally on the Genesect train. Um, and it just, it persists. And the players that pilot this specific 60 you know, there's so much you could say about them too. You know, everyone has their take on the sequences in which you draw and the, and the components in which you part ways with via Cramomatic. And, you know, the math just makes sense. It's good. It, it's a good format right now because it is counterable. It's a better format because anyone can pilot it differently and get a similar result. Are we certain that this is the last chance Mew would have at Worlds though? I have to agree. I have to stand by my word and say that Mew is most likely rotating before next Worlds. Okay, just because I know it's not D block, and that's if they're only going to rotate like one block per year. But then, then again, they're printing more blocks than per year. So yeah, I'm not sure honestly. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. We don't know for a fact, but I guess it is a good assumption at this point. I think we're going to be brilliant stars and forward. Uh, by next world which would make sense honestly i just i yeah. like i said i wasn't sure because i know like with them being in like lettered blocks i wasn't mm -hmm. sure if uh like only d was going to get rotated and you know then it was e forward or how it was going to work but um it would make sense because that would be a very long time to have you honestly yes well i'm to my understanding um d is already gone and we're in e right now and e oh yeah, sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, goes that's... from goes from battle styles until brilliant stars. So I think we lose E, which means we lose Umbreon, Duraludon, all of these components that make the Arceus decks work. So it'll be funny to see 
Arceus try to survive with all of the Vs that are left in the pool? Yeah, no, my, my brain's sleepy. Of course, uh, I knew D was already rotated. I don't know why I even, you know, no, <laughs> said it like good. that, I guess. <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, we, we got the point across. Uh, but anyways, first place, Vance Kelly, Mu Max. If you watch the game, it was methodical in the way that it was played. Uh, you didn't get the million uh, cards drawn, the random power tablets thrown down just to see more resources and stuff like that. It was cool, calm, and collected. And I think that played very heavily into why um, Tord wasn't able to uh, capitalize on anything Vance was doing. Um, when you're looking at the Mew VMAX list, you will see one card that kind of stands out. I guess there's a few, but one that stands out the most, and that's the Box of Disaster, which puts eight damage counters on your opponent's Pokemon if they knock it out with full HP. It's a very good tech card, specifically into Gardevoir. And lo and behold, it hits Gardevoir at the end, and that's fantastic. Um, you know, you can't write the story any better than playing the deck that you're teched for in the very end. Um, you also see the one of Crystal Cave, which is great to heal your Genesex in the event of some Lost Zone math and so on and so forth. And it also makes for a good additional path bump on top of your two vacuums and your two Lost Cities. Um, anything you have to say about the list before we talk about Tords? No, I mean, just for consistency purposes, we were seeing the 3-4 Seal Stones, which I think has kind of been a staple lately, uh, especially because you can just, if you want to, throw them all on your random Genesex uh, so you can get cards out of your hand as well, too. But yeah, that Box of Disaster, I felt like so many people came in with Gardevoir hate, specifically. Um, you know, I guess this works against opposing, you know, or other, any situation whatsoever, but it really works against the Mew matchup. Um, even at the cup that I played in this weekend, one of my matchups, someone put this down and I literally had to memory skip for a turn just so I could chip damage. So then following turn, I wouldn't, you know, get knocked out after I took a knockout. So, um, yeah, it just seems like the box of disasters, everyone was kind of on the same page and we're like, Gardevoir is probably going to be pretty good. And, uh, let's do something to, uh, fix that. Yeah, no, I tend to agree. Uh, Vance also made the decision to run our Corio, and a lot like the double V guard we saw in the word is escaping me. Sorry, uh, in the Arctura deck that we saw in uh, Juniors, having a higher HP threshold always throws your opponent's game plan off a little bit, especially if they don't know that you're playing the Oracorio. So I feel like that was. Um, a little bit of help too, and also having access to glistening droplets, being an attack that you can spread damage counters on your opponent's side of the field, um, copying it with Mu VMAX, leaving something big and psychic leapable in the active, um, makes for some really good plays if you want to um, really put your opponent at a disadvantage. Um, again, in Gardevoir, putting five damage counters on something that needs X amount of energies accelerated to it with Psychic Embrace. Um, giving them that much less HP to kind of work with um, really sets this deck up really nicely. So um, congrats to Vance Kelly. You are the world champion in 2023, and we will talk about your opponent's deck now. And this is Tord Reckliff. The story seemed to have been written for him. You know, seeing them make it to the finals, you everybody unanimously, for the most part, I suppose, um, assumed that this was Tord's storybook ending. And 
it didn't end up being that way. You're the resident Gardevoir guy right now. So tell me what you like about the list. So it's kind of funny. Um, I actually hate the Mirage Step Curlia um, personally, but I know that it came in handy so many games for Tord. Um, because in theory, yes, if you can get that off and you kind of have, you know, maybe a Ralts or two as prize, or you just don't have a way to get them very easily and set up or, or something like, you know, a, a Greninja takes out two Ralts before you can get them set up. This comes in and puts a bunch of Curly on the bench for you and you're back in the game. So in theory, yes, I see its merit, but I'm just personally not a super big fan of it. But um, what's interesting to me is also the two reversal energies instead of a lot of lists that are playing one. And I actually recently, at least the list I played this weekend, completely got rid of reversal because I was only playing one and 11 psychics. And I felt like whenever I did need the reversal energy, I never had it um, on that like pivotal turn. But I can see where with playing two, you are more often likely to see it on that pivotal turn when you do need it. So that might actually be the new correct way to play it. The only other reason why I didn't like it too was I upped my psychic energy count to 12, which allowed me to get the energies I needed for things like the Zacian um, much easier and much quicker because obviously a reversal doesn't work for Zacian. Um, it, you know, it's just, you're, you're seeing those psychic energies more, uh, more regularly and things like that. So, um, I also personally do love the one of lost vacuum. I think toward like had the mindset of, um, maybe he knew something that someone like me didn't, that people were teching these box of disasters and goes, you know what? I, not only is this going to be an extra, um, path out. So especially since towards not playing worker as well. It's one extra path out, but if there is a box of disaster, I can also get rid of that and not have to worry about getting return KO'd. Yeah, um, my my note was going to be on the Lost Vacuum. I have always believed that in a, in a deck like this where your energy accelerator relies on you having your ability, having that extra path uh, bump is just necessary, especially in the form of something uh, that's item searchable. Like you draw so many cards with this deck and I feel like a vacuum is just always within arm's reach and you'll have your stadiums for utility later versus having to throw down an early collapse just to get rid of path as opposed to utilizing it to um, get something with a bunch of energy that's stuck on the bench into the discard pile so that you can re-accelerate that energy to another attacker. Um, it gives you a more aggressive standpoint versus uh more defensive and like i just need my abilities back here's a free clap stadium um what i have to say about mirage step curlia is lost city you if you put a bunch of curlia out there and you know lo and behold you get cross switcher manaphy in the active canceling cologne two curlia are gone if you find a way to get rid of that one lost city you still have all of your routes and your Gardevoirs to play around with. And there's three rare candy still in the deck. So on top of sustainability, I think that that's a really solid play just to avoid losing multiple components of the Gardevoir line and just throwing a bunch of Curlia out there for that simple reason. Because more often than not, 
it during that Greninja play, during the Sableye combo play, whatever, they're going to not chase after the Mirage Step Krillia that can just as easily evolve into Gardevoir that following turn. And they're going to go after the ones that let you draw cards. So you have that out. And if you get punished by Lost City, you have a rebuttal because you still have all of your Gardevoir pieces uh, at your disposal. But this deck is sick. There was one moment where Tord, not in the finals, but Tord only had Greninja, Luminion, and Manaphy on the board. And everyone's like, whoa, Tord's playing Waterbox. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> there was no psychic Pokemon within arm's reach. So it was really funny to see that. Um, but you can't really take anything away from the journey this dude's been on. Yes, you didn't get your world championship, but you know, all season long on this podcast, we've been talking about Tord. We've been talking about all of these players for the most part. And it was really cool to see such a familiar face with such a familiar deck in the finals. So we can kind of move on from this potential uh this segment, but there is an honorable mention that I want to throw out there. The ninth place bubble in top eight, Cyrus Davis. And <laughs> I can't say enough about uh, this player, she's just so consistent. And after the NAIC finish, she came to Worlds and just tore it up with what I think is the sickest deck. What are your thoughts on it before I glaze over it? Yeah, no, I, I honestly like it's um, she has been killing it. But yeah, the deck itself, um, I feel like the correct way to play Chen Pao or more or less like Palkia with Chen Pao Um I really like because you're not having to rely on energy acceleration as far as your back, like in a backscalibur. So this deck is more, like I said, a Palkia deck with the, using the Chen Pao, almost like a capacious bucket. You use the ability to grab energies. Um, you're also playing the Melanies, so you can actually accelerate energies from the discard pile um, to obviously the Palkias and be able to attack. And with so many decks playing such wide benches right now, um, your Palkia is going to just constantly be doing big damage as well as, I mean, this deck really, really goes super aggro with the Radiant Greninja, Canceling Cologne, Cross Switchers, and Lost, Lost Cities. I mean, just, if you can get that off, you're, I, I feel like you're going to win the game 99% of the time, uh, because I just, just, I, I mentioned in the beginning of the pod, it literally happened to me and I just could not recover. I was just like, nope, that's it. I'm, I'm done. Um, so just a very awesome list, um, all around. I mean, what, what do you like about it? Everything, uh, ev- all 61 cards of this list. Uh, <laughs> there's <laughs> a joke to be said about that because it was posted online and it was the differences between the day one and the day two deck, but they were all taken as a photo together. And I was confused because I wanted to play it on PTCGL and I was wondering where the 61st card was and, it got cleared up. Reading is so easy. Um, but this deck, like you would think that, oh, it just takes a hard L, the flying Pikachu, but that's not even the case. It has so many switch outs, double rope, full playset across switchers. It's so consistent. This deck is so punishing. And I feel like it's one of the few decks in the format right now that can play without any recovery and still checkmate your opponent, regardless of what they're playing. And I have been annoyingly active preaching the word of no caliber and Chen Pao. And it's so justifying to see Cyrus do this at this level and 
do exactly as I had been saying is just cut the Excalibur out. It's too high maintenance. Just do what Palkia does best. Hit for consistent damage and blow things up one time with Chen Pao. That's all you need. Yeah, and I I do like the inclusion there in the Articuno as well, or of that Articuno, because like you just mentioned, the Flying Pikachu matchup should be horrible. But including that in there just means, oh, hey, look, you're paralyzed for a turn. All right, next turn, I'm going to knock you out because you obviously are leaving your only Flying Pikachu, you know, so I can't get around it with escape ropes and stuff like that. And well, guess what? Now the game's over. <laughs> Yeah, and if and if an Arc Dura deck uses its rope or switch to get the Arceus in the active as they do, you now have to find that one other switch out, or Palkia, just with its well-rounded attacking, is going to punish you. And yep. it's 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 a beautiful deck. It's wonderful. I would have loved to see this in top eight because I think it would have won. But the bubble is always so frustrating, and Cyrus will be back. She has big big things in the future i'm actually surprised that they didn't do what they did at the london worlds where it was the uh what was it called the not symmetrical cut but the um where it's like if someone had the same record as someone in top cut they all they like eighth and ninth played it out um and then got into whoever won that actually gets into top cut um uh, it doesn't seem like there was a lot of communication from the tournament staff as to why it ended up being that way but regardless yeah no i just i that's my point was i I really enjoyed that with how they did that at worlds last year i just wish they had rolled it over this year because i felt like it made it a little more fair because i mean you imagine being at worlds and you know your same record but you're just a few percentage points off and you get bubbled out like that just Mm. that's a feel bad no i mean regardless you made a ninth place finish but it's still like I would be like my heart would be broken a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be I'd be hunting down the people who dropped and dropped my uh, my opponent opponent percentage or <laughs> and so on and so Find forth. who dropped and drop them. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Worlds was so sick this year. I had a blast watching it. But let's uh, let's go over the MetaShare study real quick. Um, going into day one, the most popular deck was Lugia. Uh, no one saw that coming, but they said it very well on stream. It's a deck that wins or loses gracefully. It does not sit in that tie bracket, which I think is complete BS because I tied twice with Lugia the previous Saturday. So um, I am not a world championship caliber player, but I can understand that, you know, just feed a bunch of two prizers out there. Eventually you'll take over the game big damage output and accelerating a million energy a turn or you'll just break and lose um at 14 percent, you had gardevoir ex 13 percent, we had lost zone giratina this is the deck that everyone was 50 50 on is it actually going to show up at worlds definitely did two in top eight and masters uh very sick to see another relevant archetype being fed back into um our format 13% at 86 decks was a loss zone box. I have to assume all of those consist of the Greninja variant, uh, but those who played Sablezard, hats off to you. You are very brave with all this Lost City running around. <laughs> and at 10%, 67 decks, Arctina. Consistent, Judge Path, do your thing. 
And the way that that translated to day two was very much so different. So your biggest percentage at 19%, 32 decks was the loss on box. Uh, at 14%, 23 players using Mu VMAX. So it was just a meta call, I suppose. And 14%, 23 players were piloting Gardevoir EX. Lugia drops all the way down to 13% at 22 uh, players. And La Santina stays pretty relevant at 11% with 19 um, competitors piloting that specific deck. Um, Arctina, Arc Pile, whatever you want to call it, was just not the call this weekend. Um, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, as far as day one goes, um, I was super shocked about Lugia being that high of a percentage, honestly, because I I would not expect so many people to uh, have their worlds run rely on coin flips, personally. But um, alas, they brought it. And then kind of going back to what we talked about um, last episode or however many episodes ago with the, you know, how so many people talk about Gardevoir and Lost Box decks being like such long matches that you're going to tie a lot and you don't want to tie in worlds. Well, obviously the competitors here know their pace of play and know this and that. So the fact that we're seeing such a high volume of lost box and Gardevoir, um, it's not surprising to me because those decks are inherently very strong. So, um, it is just kind of wild to me that, uh, UV max, um, like I said, so many people, I, I just didn't going into this, didn't expect it to be even that many people playing it, but it, does make sense because in all the decks we're seeing in the top matches, it has pretty good matchups against all those, honestly. Yeah, no, I tend to agree. Um, I think the percentage from day one to day two just makes sense. You know, good players play good decks. But what I really liked seeing, and I'll touch on this briefly, was the fact that we saw Mirrodon on stream. And it did okay. It was a really cool build with like double celebrations Mew, being able to grab items like the electric generator, so on and so forth. The bravery charm seems to be a really sick addition to that deck. Um, but I was feeling very justified when I saw it. I was like, hey, I'm on Marathon <laughs> right now. Like I, I, I'm on the same wavelength as these world guys, but you know, obviously just worse. Um, and then we saw Arc Agron, which was another deck I played the week before. And I <laughs> was, you know, internally like, hey, I played at Arc Agron the previous week. Again, I'm on the wavelength of these world guys, but worse. And it was just cool. Like, I made me feel warm and fuzzy inside being a spectator at home, pointing at the screen like, hey, I, I know that deck. That's a cool deck. <laughs> I played that deck. Yeah, exactly. And I did okay with that deck. Uh, but yeah, Worlds was a blast this year for any listener back home who watched a specific stream and wants to talk about it, join our discord. You know, we ranted about it all week long and, you know, hit up our Twitter, I suppose. And, you know, tell me about your favorite match. What was the most exciting highlight of this weekend for you? Uh, it is PCS underscore pod. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this weekend. Moving on um, the hot topic before we get into the news um, creators got let into the Pokemon center before competitors did a lot of stuff was sold out. A lot of sizes were hard to get their hands on. We saw moments later that all of the kits and the cool stuff went up for sale and it ended up being a big mess on social media. 
And Justin, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on the matter. <laughs> um, so I actually got involved in a little bit of a post with uh, some, you know, one of the competitors posted something about uh, not being able to get things and um, someone who obviously doesn't understand the situation had commented on there saying that they need to stop complaining. They, they get a competitor's kit for, you know, signing up this and that. I, th and then they were just saying like, you're pretty much saying the competitors are trying to get preferential treatment. And I had to respond, you know, that they let creators in first uh, private shopping event, pretty much for these people who are only famous because they, take photos and videos of a bunch of Pokemon stuff or have so much money that they buy extremely collectible or extremely rare cards. And that is their uh, quote unquote talent that Pokemon uh, calls them creators and lets them have VIP access and pays for their entire trips to come out to Japan and stuff. Obviously you can tell um, we're creators and I had no way in ever form expect any kind of handout from Pokemon. Um, so the fact that these people get all these private things and, I the I feel pretty um, upset for the players because I know some personal people from here in Florida that went and they were very excited to potentially get a backpack or some some certain things uh, from the store and when they go in day day one that they're allowed to go in it's all gone because a bunch of creators went in with all their money bought out everything on their private shopping sprees I mean. There was pictures floating around of people with uh, like multiple, multiple backpacks. Like it's your one person, but yet they had like five, six backpacks and stuff like that. And um, it's it's nothing new. We saw it at NAIC, um, people scalping all the, the items and things like that and um, reselling them the moment they, you know, their credit card got swiped. They were already posted on eBay and it's very unfortunate and unfortunately this is the state of Pokemon we're, you know, we're in, um, because it is so popular now. Um, but it's just sad personally. I think, I personally think that the competitors are the ones that actually should have got the private shopping time and stuff like that. Like granted, I know there was a lot of competitors, but realistically the spectators and creators who are not there to, um, spend their time actually competing have more free time to go to the Pokemon Center than the competitors who are actually, you know, they need to be in their seats playing the game, trying to win the world championship. So they actually have less of an opportunity throughout the entire event to get these unique worlds items that you can only get at worlds versus all these other people who are, are just there to watch or to take advantage of the, um, the Pokemon center and things like that. So that's kind of my, um, take on it. And like I said, it's kind of from a personal experience from NAIC. Um, and the only reason why I was even lucky enough to get the few things I did was because, um, I happened to room, uh, with someone who snored very, very loudly and woke me up at like five o'clock in the morning. I'm a naturally early riser anyways. So our hotel was across the street from the convention center and I just walked over and got in, line with someone who had uh the spots reserved for the very first people in line and that was all by chance and luck because i just happened to be up early you know if it wasn't for that i literally would have not gotten anything because we were in the first group in and people were literally running from behind us to try to like like physically running across the pokemon center to try to get the backpacks and i'm like 
holy crap. So it, it's a real experience uh, that shouldn't be that. Uh, I know I'm ranting on this a little bit, but shouldn't be this uh, sucky for the competitors, honestly. Um, I'm a little 50-50 on this subject. Being a newer player, I got hooked on the game from the app. And when I was playing on the app, I wanted to learn to get better. I went to YouTube. Uh, one of the first creators that I kind of like watched regularly was Frosted Caribou. And she was putting out content that kind of bridged the gap between collecting and playing. And at the time, um, you know, they were super influential on the way that I went about um, playing the game myself. You know, the decks that she would play on stream, I would buy the cards of. And you have to understand that these creators, their business is to promote the game at every level. I would not be a player now, probably without creators, because if there was no content to watch on YouTube, I probably would have burned out. Um, but I think it needs to be taken with a fine tooth comb as to who needs to be considered a creator and what benefits these creators are getting. Um, I personally believe that, you know, Taco and Boo both you know, big names in the Pokemon scene, Frost Caribou and Primetime Wizard, both great casters. We've seen at multiple events, they are very lively. They make the game exciting. They compensate, you know, all of the big things that we watch and talk about here on the podcast. So they play a huge part in the game. Um, you know, I have a lot of respect for Real Breaking Nate and, you know, Super Duper Danny and stuff like that too. They you know, they put out a lot of good Pokemon content. They get people very much so involved in the hobby and they make the space very inviting and accepting for everybody. So Pokemon wouldn't sell the stuff that they do without creators assistance. But then there's a lot of faces in those groups of creators that I've never seen before. They might come from the go side. They might come from the VGC side. They might come from the unite side. And I get that there's a wide pool for stuff like that. But then on TCG's behalf, Eric from Rare Candy, um, Tricky Jim, Andrew Mahone, uh, Azul, they're competitors at Worlds. And they're also creators. And, you know, a large portion of my influence earlier in the game came from them as well. So I think that fine tooth comb needs to come at all levels and really um, give benefits to those who are promoting the game from all aspects not just your creator you get first dibs and you're a competitor so you get second there needs to be things exclusive to both parties and everything needs to be accessible to both of them because i feel like especially andrew mahone not being kind of fixated in that creator side especially with all of the product that pokemon sends them and opens on stream and everything that they do to promote the next format to sell the next set um it just didn't sit right with me for sure. Seeing things go up for sale immediately after, like right before competitors were allowed in was really disheartening. And I hope that whatever creator was kind of on that side, they just exit the seat entirely. Yeah. And like, and I get, I do get where you're coming from on that. I think the easiest way to do it is, is just like how the competitors get a welcome competitor kit make the Pokemon Center fair game. It's it's there's no preferential treatment and give those creators that you invited to worlds a welcome package as well. That yeah. way they don't get a preemptive pre private shopping event 
they get product that you want to give them that you, they are going to promote on all their channels. Um, but, and like, there are the ones like you mentioned, like Frosted Caribou, she's amazing. Um, you know, all, but like, like Tricky Jim specifically was Andrew Mahone was notated in the alternate playbook for creating gym leader format yet he didn't get invited to a creator private shopping event um so yeah it is kind of like it almost feels backhanded and and there are those those true creators out there that just genuinely love pokemon i've never been a pack opening person so i like i don't understand the um the how people get into just people other people ripping packs all the time to me that's incredibly boring but that's just me as a person i guess so that's why I don't understand how those people get like so many views of just opening packs. But besides the, the fact on that, um, the, I guess my biggest gripe is um, since I originally got back into this hobby many, many, many years ago um, through the collecting side of it before I moved on to the TCG, um, I do still follow some of these bigger name collectors and things like that. And a lot, there was quite a few of those people who were invited by Pokemon as well, who are literally just there because they have large collections of Pokemon. It's not even like they make good content because they realistically just flaunt the cards and money they have. Um, and then, you know, that leads on to a whole nother side discussion. But like one of the things that got under my skin after they had their like private shopping events, they're like posting all over social media about like um, trying to buy competitor bags and like, you know, thousand bucks for this or, um, and then the biggest one I got on, under my skin was like after the event, like I literally saw multiple of those people who flaunt the money, like making offers to competitors to buy their trophies. Like these people just won this major event or placed at this major event. And you like 10 seconds after they win, they're literally going and buying their trophies. So maybe that's why I just have a salty, like, or, you know, a little salt going towards these creators currently is because like that just rubs me wrong all around on that aspect too. But yeah, I just don't think they should have gotten the preferential preferential treatment from the get go. Like I said, give them, give them a welcome kit as well. And then it's free game for everyone on the Pokemon center. Yeah. And you know, Pokemon can obviously afford to overprint product. Everything that's left over put on the website you'll sell i guarantee yeah. leave it in a pokemon center for two weeks after in japan i guarantee it'll sell like there's no shortage in when it comes to pokemon merchandise like i go to target twice a week and i guarantee i leave with pokemon stuff both trips every week and you know i'm on the hook i guarantee that there are so many other people just like me so overproduce your product make it accessible for everybody and just Go through with a fine tooth comb and decide who your creators are and listen to your audience and they'll tell you who they want to have, you know, preferential treatment if that exists still come next worlds. Yeah, especially overprint the backpacks because I that's the only thing that I want so bad and I'm not dropping three hundred plus dollars for a backpack. Because that's what yeah. they're I've already I've already looked on eBay because I want one so bad. I think they look really cool. And I'm like, well, looks like I'm not getting a backpack because um, I, as much as I want one, I'm not an idiot at the same time willing to spend $300 for a backpack. Yeah, I got you. Um, but compliment sandwich time. Um, yes. <laughs> the cha- like the, the champion kit, the first place kit, the black and gold play mat, 
the black and gold deck box, all of those things were sick. That yeah. is the way they did do a good job. We need to do Pokemon things like that all the time. That's like literally owning the battle VIP pass. Like that is so sick. Like that's an irreplaceable like thing you get to have the rest of your life. If you choose to sell it, whatever. But I, it's really cool how exclusive that was. So Pokemon did a really good job on those. So there's your compliment sandwich for you. <laughs> um, but transitioning into the future of TCG while we stop talking about the past. You see what I did there? Transition. Um, uh. The Paradox <laughs> Pokemon <laughs> have been released that will be a part of our, uh, what is it called? Paradigm Rift, Rift? or something like yeah. that? Is that yeah, what it's Paradigm called? Rift. Something, something. It's something Rift, yeah. It's something. It's, it's cool, though. Um, there are some it's new just... cards we get to talk about. And I think we're just going to go down the list, talk about the cards, talk about what they do, you know, make brief notes on where they could see play. And we'll move on from there. The first card, it's an ancient type Pokemon. I have to imagine that this whole ancient and future thing ends up being like Rapid Strike Single Strike, where they have different trainers, different things accessible to them because of the cool tags that are put on them. Um, But I digress. Screamtail, which is a ancient form of Jigglypuff, 90 HP, Psychic-type Pokemon. For one Psychic Energy, it does Slap for 30. And then for one Psychic and one Colorless, this attack does 20 damage to one of your opponent's Pokemon for each damage counter on this Pokemon, weak to dark, resistant to fighting, single retreat cost. This seems like an easy Bravery Charm plug into Gardevoir. It does Snipe damage. And you're putting damage counters on yourself and you can increase the HP threshold from 90 to 140, put 120 damage counters on it, and it does 240 anywhere on the field. This seems really good. Yeah, I mean, and uh, outside of the bravery charm, there's another item that I don't even I don't see it on our list, but the the cape or something like that. I forget what it's called, but it adds 100 HP. Um, but then if it's knocked out, it adds uh, they take an extra prize. Um, you put that on here and now you can literally just clean up, you know, say you want to finish the game and snipe something big on the bench. Um, yeah, you could just do (laughs) insane amount of damage, uh, which I think this is a perfect fit for Gardevoir for that. Like, obviously we've got Cresselia currently, um, but this is a great, just good, large damage sniping attacker. I feel like in Gardevoir personally, it it hits the active, like it's anywhere on the field. So like, you could pack your Banaphies all day long, but Screamtail's coming for everything. It's coming yeah. for your throat, <laughs> you know? I think the only thing that you could do to help you against this deck is, you know, Tool Jammer and Vacuums, I think, are going to be very, very important going forward because then you can create multi-price turns by eliminating whatever's increasing its HP threshold, knocking itself out, plus taking a KO on something else. It's very circumstantial, but this seems like a no-brainer in Gardevoir. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I mean, going forward, when these come out, it'll be in a list, I feel like, for me. Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, next card is Brute Bonnet. I'm refusing to call it Bonnet, even though that's the way it looks like it's supposed to be said. Um, Dark-type Pokemon, 120 HP. Its ability, Toxic Powder. Once during your turn, if this Pokemon has an Ancient Booster Energy Capsule attached, you may make both active Pokemon poisoned. And then for two dark, one colorless rampaging hammer for 120 damage during your next turn, this Pokemon can't attack. 
weak to grass and a three retreat cost. This is the ancient version of Amoongus. Um, I have to assume the ancient booster energy capsule is a really good card that we haven't seen released yet. And it's just a little, you know, snippet as to what's next. But other than that, seems kind of meh. Yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of meh. It's got its, like, unique case, like, uh, meme deck scenarios, you know, something with Claydol or something that rad- Alolan Raticate that drops the HP down to 10, and then now you poison it. And so, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it does have some merit, but it's outside of that. I'm, it's okay. I mean, it's a cool card, but... I'm, yeah. I'm interested to see what this ancient booster energy capsule thing does and like its mechanic as well too. I'm just excited to see that many words printed on a trainer card. Cause that seems excessive. Um, <laughs> we're going to move on to roaring moon. This card is nuts. Um, roaring moon EX dark type Pokemon, 230 HP sit on that idea first, just a second here and two dark, one colorless frenzied gouging knock out your opponent's active Pokemon sick um and then if your opponent's active pokemon is knocked out this way this pokemon does 200 damage to itself so it survives by 30 after deleting something three prizes or less yeah it's just instant duraludon answer um not that duraludon's a problem right now in the format but this seems very anti vmax and it seems like a very easy plug into something like Darkrai. And for two dark and one colorless, it does Calamity Storm. 100 plus damage. You may discard a stadium and play. If you do, this attack does 120 more damage. So 240 attack plus an auto-delete attack that just lowers its HP down to 30. You can penny it back into your hand. It has access to Dark Patch. This card seems obnoxiously good. Yeah, I, I'm... I'm really interested to see what some of these um, new trainer cards as well, too, because uh, the fact that it damages itself so much, but I mean, I've seen people rumble about emergency jelly. I don't think that helps it too much. I mean, yes, it does boost it back up to what? 150 uh, HP after the emergency jelly pops. But um, yeah, I mean, if it does stick, you could potentially do this two turns in a row. I mean, granted, yes, you knock yourself out, but taking two, three prizes in a row or two, two prizes in a row to give up one doesn't seem bad in my eyes. Yes. Um, it doesn't, it, it can work without path to the peak. Um, like there's just, it seems limitless and I'm hoping we get something like a big parasol stadium <laughs> that we could just <laughs> stop this card from knocking everything out because it just, it seems like an uncontested powerhouse. Like, there's, there's just no denying it. Like we need a new rule that comes with these ancient and future Pokemon. That's like, oh yeah, but you can't put basic energy on them. But that's just not going to happen. Because right, and I I agree. I think with all the uh, like effect of attack uh, effects of attacks right that we have in the card pool right now, like I do feel like something like along the lines of a big parasol needs to come back in rotation because we are just getting these. On top of already having things like Sableye and stuff like that, we're just getting so many effects of attacks that are really strong like that. Yeah. And, you know, it's about time that we step into a very anti-VMAX format, uh, given that they, a VMAX, just won Worlds. 
Um, and we're trying to step into a two prize stage two format. Um, I have to imagine that this was very catered towards that mindset. Um, the yeah, Roaring Mooney X, get four of them. I feel like they're going to be good. Um, Iron Bundle, 100 HP, water type Pokemon. This is a future Pokemon. Its ability Hyper Blower, once during your turn, if this Pokemon is on your bench, you may switch it out. You may switch out your opponent's active Pokemon to the bench. And if you do, you discard this Pokemon and all cards attached. So, um, do you remember Fion from yep. Sun and Moon? It's that. Uh, Whirlpool Suction. There it is. I had four of them, and then they rotated. Uh, <laughs> it was a good card, you know, and an ability yes. on a non-rule box Pokemon that just gusts a Pokemon into the active seems pretty good. And for one water and two colorless refrigerated stream, 80 damage. If the defending Pokemon is an evolution Pokemon, it can't attack during your opponent's next turn. This is a sick attack. It's Ice Q, but for evolution Pokemon. I was about to say, so I could definitely see some kind of water control deck potentially coming up because you do still technically have Ice Q that prevents basics as well as iron bundle that's now is evolution as well um you think you've got things like backscalibur that can accelerate the energy to it or palkia um so and then you also on top of that you do still technically have regice in rotation as well too that your pokemon is a v it can't attack so if you go against v's then you just can't attack and also I agree hyper blower itself is just really strong like Yes, your opponent gets to choose, but I mean, right now, imagine someone accelerating all their energies, like every single energy to something like uh, Azacian V to take a big knockout, and then they you literally play Iron Bundle next turn, and they have to force something up, and they literally have no physically no energies left and no way to retreat. Um, just sounds like you win the game from there to me. Yeah, no, I tend to agree. I think that Iron Bundle might have gotten shafted in terms of hype but it's it's definitely got a big fan in me uh, i'll tell you some um iron valiant ex 220 hp psychic pokemon it's a future paradox pokemon um the ability tachyon bits once during your turn when this pokemon moves from your bench to the active spot you may put two damage counters on one of your opponent's pokemon um it's cheeky. It's another one of those 220 big basic Pokemon that does 220. Like we've seen this, we've done that, you know, Coridon, Miradon, um, what else? Chen Pao does 240, uh, but Laser Blade for two Psychic and one Colorless, it does 200 damage during your next turn. This Pokemon can attack, weak to steal, two retreat cost. It's cool to have something that puts two damage counters on. But at the same time, it's just another poster child Pokemon with the same HP threshold as its damage output at the end of the day. Yeah, the biggest thing I've seen about this, like it, it is very cool. Um, 200, it's pretty good. Um, good damage. The fact it can't attack during the next turn kind of sucks. But the biggest thing I've seen people talk about this is potential future Donk deck. Um, because... Say you're going first and you're just playing super aggro, four of these, um, and just a ton of switches and draws. 
there is a very realistic world where you could, you know, your opponent plays one basic 160 HP basic in the active, um, not realizing what they're going to be playing against. And uh, you switch four times and you put eight damage counters uh, and knock it out. So uh, it's very high rolly, high risk. Um, but if it happened, it, it realistically could happen. Um, outside of that, though, it, I just don't think a donk deck is something you want to take to something like a cup because <laughs> you won't yeah. you won't do very well. Um, I think when VIP pass rotates, maybe just because you will have so many 70, 60 HP threshold Pokemon left in the active attach pass. Um, but VIP pass saves you from that. So I think that Iron Valiant probably won't see that donk potential until then. I think an expanded yeah. combined with Glaring Zigzagoon, Scoop Up Net, because um, Scoop Up Net can technically scoop this up as well. Um, I think that there's some potential there for sure. Super Scoop well, I'm Up and... Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm talking about if you if you go first and you're playing Iron Valley and like your opponent doesn't mm-hmm. even get to play for the game, because uh, yeah. Back when I played Mad Party and I would start a lone Sinistee, there was many. Mm. There were not many. But there was a few games where literally someone would go, Galarian Zigzagoon, scoop up net. Galarian Zigzagoon, scoop up net. Galarian Zigzagoon, good game. Yep. <laughs> and that's the way you treat Mad Party in these parts of town. As it should. <laughs> um, next card we're going to talk about Iron Moth, 130 HP, future Pokemon, fire type, ability thermal reactor. Once during your turn, when this Pokemon moves from your bench to the active spot, you may move any amount of fire energy from your other Pokemon to it. And for two fire and one colorless, it does heat ray for 109 and 120 damage. So it's like Heatran or Weird Ear, but way less energy <laughs> and way less damage yep i think for something like a like a cheryl deck being able to move all those energies to it put it back on the bench and then accelerate those energies to a better active pokemon with like armor rouge maybe but i think that the ceiling on this one's pretty low yeah i mean not all the cards released can all be bangers um i definitely think this is probably the worst out of all of them uh but it's a very cool pokemon itself and the art on this card is beautiful but yeah as right now i don't see it seeing any play but um could be wrong you know yeah people thought uh pikaram sucked when it came out and uh look at that look at that card nope i absolutely i wasn't around for that but i was around for pikaram being very good um Again, I think this future pass thing is going to be a lot like single strike, rapid strike. The trainers, supporters, items, stadiums, everything that support this future and ancient mechanic, I think those are what's really going to change the way the game is played after those release. And that'll be a part of the paradigm, paradox rift, that set that we see in November. I think that's what it was. And then in 2024... A-spec cards are going to return. And for those who have never played with A-specs, like me, who had to Google what they were, they are a <laughs> single card like a Radiant Pokemon that you could play in your deck 
and their items and you can play as many items as you want during your turn except for ace decks because you can only play one in your deck but they tend to be very powerful they range from anywhere from being like a super duper big healing potion type of deal to computer search which is basically forest seal stone go grab a card out of your deck um they can also be tool cards and give you really good attacks and stuff like that uh seems like the potential is limitless and in 2024, we'll just have to see what they consist of because I would have to imagine they all have to power creep. Yeah, this was actually the most exciting announcement for me personally. Um, I didn't get a chance to play with them either. There was a short time where I tried expanded, and one of the coolest thing was a specs. One of the the least or the let the least cool, less cool. One of the worst parts about playing expanded was the fact that the a specs cards you needed were extremely expensive. Um, but outside of that, it was just very cool to be able to have these one of trainers and things like that. So I'm super, super excited what they do. I mean, even if they just reprinted some of the ones that we previously had would be incredibly strong. I truthfully hope that we get new stuff, um, especially built to like our current, obviously, meta and stuff like that. But yeah, just the fact that A-Specs are returning. Um, I, I love this. I love everything about it. Yeah give me an item card that heals 200 damage from two Pokemon and I'll be happy. Gold potion, but that was only to one. It was ever heal everything. <laughs> exactly. We need to power creep it Two Pokemon, 200 damage. Gudra survives. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, real quickly though, uh, in the Indigo disc expansion of Scarlet Violet, uh, there's an area where you can catch what looks like every starter, which is very cool for Mudkip fans like me. Um, I play the game very casually, but starters are always very fun to have. Um, I would assume that it would probably widen the pool of Pokemon allowed to be played in VGC. So we'll just have to see what their rotation, quote unquote, ends up looking like. Because I know they're doing blocks now for specific Pokemon. And yeah, that's very cool. And they've introduced a 19th typing that I am now referring to as Super Mega Ultra Rainbow Typing, or SMIRT for short. And apparently any Pokemon can use uh, the attacks of the Smirt typing. We'll see how it translates to the TCG. Did Not to change subject, I know we're a TCG podcast, but had, did you see all the stuff uh, about all the VGC players getting DQ'd at Worlds for, yeah. <laughs> for not knowing their mons were hacked that they got from friends? That's yeah. wild. That is very unfortunate for them. Seems like VGC players just in general didn't have a very good time in uh, at Worlds this year. Yeah, definitely not. But uh, anyways, back to TCG. I just I had to ask you saw that because <laughs> it was I saw that and I was like, oh, one person, oh, two person, oh, like a dozen people. <laughs> yep. All right, and then we're gonna kind of steer back into a more sensitive topic, and I hate doing this because rants happen, and Justin has to go to bed, but it has to be said. Oh, um, <laughs> I know. Worlds 2024 will be hosted in Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, for those who understand the state of the world right now and are current with uh, recent events, um, Maui's on fire, which is close to Oahu, um, but it's not quite that. Um, there are many people affected, and it is a very tragic event that is currently happening over there. And I'm a little ticked off that Pokemon didn't really read the room when making this announcement. I understand the executives of Pokemon 
make these plans years in advance so that they can plan and get everything in line and take all input and consideration from previous worlds and apply it to the next one. But it would have been just as fine to find out in a month or two where worlds would have been as opposed to announcing it while it's currently in a state of peril. Um, I feel like it's just a little inappropriate. It's a very cool destination. Um, They have been battling a lot of tourism issues since COVID. Um, It would have been really neat to maybe just not make the announcement. That's like the bare minimum. Let's just not announce it at Worlds this year. And if you needed to push the date back any further, which is the least you can do for Hawaii right now while they're in the state that they're in, um, that probably would have been acceptable. Um, Pokemon tourism, I would have to assume, brings a lot of money, uh, brings a lot of people, brings a lot of people together. Hawaii being very centralized between Japan, which is a huge player base, and North America, which is another large player base. It's an ideal location. Like, Alaska would have been the next best bet, and that just does not sound like a place everybody wants to go to. Um, And I would have to assume... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But, like, visa issues and traveling and so on and so forth, I feel like you avoid a lot of those things by putting it in, you know, one of the 50 United States while also making it very easy and accessible for those who also play in Asia. Uh, But again, I can't stress this enough. Pokemon just does not read a room very well. And I feel like it was just a little inappropriately timed. Justin, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with what you have said about the, uh, the state obviously um, of Hawaii currently um, it is unfortunate timing on everything going on. Um, and then something to add as well. Um, you kind of briefly touched on it. The, the tourism issues that Hawaii has had um, people from Hawaii are not necessarily fans of tourism. Currently. Um, I know that there are a lot of, I don't want to say backlash towards tourists currently, but there's definitely a lot of um, bad feelings towards tourists in Hawaii because um, Hawaii is a pretty sacred place to especially the locals and things like that. And uh, it's just, it. I mean, people from Hawaii have actively said like tourism is ruining their the islands. Um, so to bring this many people here, yes, I know Pokemon events have been held here in the past. Um, it is a very beautiful location. Like I would love to go. Um, even if I didn't actually earn a world's invite, I would love to be able to potentially still make it, um, because it would be very cool to go there one day. Um, something to add to that as well. If you do plan on going, whether you've earned your world's invites or you're planning on earning your world's invite or just going as a spectator, Please, 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 unless you just are absolutely loaded. Um, I find myself being a very financial, financially stable person, and I don't think I could afford to go to Hawaii comfortably currently. Um, Hawaii is incredibly expensive, incredibly, incredibly expensive to go to. Um, not just the travel there, but the, the food itself, the hotel itself, um, everything is very pricey. 
Um, I was actually talking to, we have a very large local chat about this. And a lot of people were like talking about going just to go, even if they didn't earn their invite, um, not realizing just cause they've, you know, always had a dream to go there, um, to Hawaii and then not realizing how expensive it was. And, uh, and lo and behold, uh, I believe Dre was on a layover in Hawaii uh, on his flight back. And he actually posted a receipt from his, uh, Burger King transaction there. And it was $25 for a meal from Burger King. Um, yes, for one person for a, for a single waffle, fries and drink yeah almost 30 dollars. so Bonk. burger king was 25 dollars. <laughs> um so take that into account that you will probably be there for a good amount of time multiple meals uh you can kind of correlate that into what your hotel cost would be if fast food is costing that much so if you do plan on going um start saving now uh, because we see it every year. Um, we saw it a bunch this year and we're still seeing it. The competitors, you know, just to be able to go are literally selling their competitor kits and things like that, or their, you know, or GoFundMe's pop up and things like that. So roll us over into a place that's twice as expensive. Um, it's going to be even crazier. So, uh, that's what I've got to say about it. And then also if you do go, um, please just please, please, please respect the locals, the island, um, you know, mother nature itself. Just don't, don't be an idiot. Don't litter. Don't be rude. Don't make a scene. Um, go and be respectful because like I said, they're already having issues with tourism as it is, let alone thousands of people flocking here for an event. Yeah. Um, you know, to put a brighter spin on it, Honolulu, like you said before, great destination absolutely beautiful nothing would be more exciting than you know being able to go there with like my wife she gets to enjoy hawaii i get to go play the game that i love at a competitive level um you know as i mentioned before world's invite might be a little harder for me to get this year but for those who are grinding you know this is something that you definitely want to look forward to this is going to be a great event pokemon does a great job do what you can to support local businesses while you're there you know step out of the taco bell mcdonald's regimen and you know shop at a local market leave walmart costco alone you know do what you can to support them and you know good luck on your world's on invite this year it's going to be a great event for sure and i'm sorry if i you know we we put didn't want to throw any you know wrenches into people's plans to go and i don't want you to feel like if you're getting an invite if you're grinding for an invite or just want to go to celebrate Pokemon. I'm not trying to deter you from doing that. I'm more disappointed in Pokemon's decision to host it there while they're going through all of this. So listeners back home know that, you know, I'm not isolating you because you're going to Honolulu for the next world championship. Cause I would want to go too. Yeah. Transitioning into the Patreon discord update. Webcam locals is this Thursday, two days from now, August 17th, obsidian flames will be legal for this event. It's so a 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and the prizing is 100 live packs of Obsidian Flames. And webcam GLC locals will resume August 31st at 6 p.m., which is next Thursday. So very much so looking forward to that. Um, we also released an exclusive Worlds 2023 merch line over at our Bonfire store. Um, this will be available for purchase until the end of December. So if you want some exclusive PCS podcast. Uh, Yokohama, Japan merchandise, 
you have a very limited time to get it, but it's very cool looking. So make sure you check that out at bonfire.com slash store slash PCS pod. And uh, it drew meant to say September, not December. Yes, I meant to say September. Yeah, correct. So, so <laughs> even shorter amount of time. <laughs> yes, yes. Limited window. Hopefully you listen to this episode before that's over. Um, that does it for the show. We got no events to predict as of right now, and we'll probably pick up the predictions maybe two weeks before the first event, which I believe is Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah, it's coming up quick too. Yep, absolutely. And pretty soon here, Justin and I are going to do our season one recap. So make sure you look forward to that episode as well. Um, but with that being said, Justin, go ahead and plug the show. Yeah. Um, first off, I do want to say thank you guys that, uh, if anyone that's a listener has supported my TCG player store, um, thank you so much. You guys have kept me incredibly busy. Um, I dropped off in like 35 packages yesterday and that was just from the weekend. Um, it's, I, I can't thank you guys enough if you guys are supporting and things like that. Um, it means a lot. So um, just wanted to throw that out there before I start. But um, if you guys want to find me on Twitter, my handle is PokerBrewsTCG. Um, and if you want to find me on Instagram, my handle is PokerBrews. Uh, Instagram is still the easiest way to reach me. But on both so- socials, you can find things like my Linktree account, where you can find things like my TCG player affiliate link. Anything, uh, blah, 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 can't talk every time I try to read this. <laughs> Uh, but any hard. shopping you do on that link <laughs> supports, yeah, talking is always hard, uh, supports the show and any upcoming regional expenses, all while costing nothing extra. Um, you also find things like that PCS podcast official merchandise by Bonfire. Um, Drew just read the link, but that link again is bonfire.com slash store slash PCS pod. Um, and if you guys do want to find my TCG player store, um, it is just Pokey Brews on TCG player um, as my store name. But um, that'll do it for me. And on to you, Drew. All right. If you want to find me on Instagram or Twitter, I am at Katana TCG. If you want to be a part of our webcam locals or partake in our monthly giveaways that we have in the Discord, make sure you're joining our Patreon, and that is patreon.com slash PCS podcast. And that's it for the show. Just sign us off. We'll see you guys next week. See you for the season one recap. We'll be right back.